Canine Cast number 62 is brought to you by Home Again Pet Recovery Service and ID Microchips on the web at homeagainpets.com. It's the Canine Cast with Tara and Walter. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Canine Cast. This is Tara. And hello everyone, this is Walter with your Canine Cast recap. In case you missed the last Canine Cast, Canine Cast number 61. We had a discussion about deaf dogs and overcoming the challenges of a dog that may be going deaf. And we discussed dogs as omnivores or carnivores and set the record straight on that one. Plus, we had more tips on introducing a new puppy to a dog and a household. And we even had stories about doggy playgroups. Thanks, Walter. On this canine cast, we are actually covering a lot of different topics, beginning with a story about doggy do being used to power a large city, a canine charity, and also some listener questions. So to get started, Stacy sent us a news story about a very interesting thing that is going to be going on in San Francisco, or at least at least that's the hope here. And this is, was on discovery.com. We'll have the link for you so you can actually look through the article. But the headline is Pooch Poo to Power San Francisco. And the joke is, wow, that must be a really big dog. Ha, ha, ha. Thanks, Walter. Um, what, what this is about um, is that uh, it starts out saying San Francisco is hoping to convert its dog dung into energy that may be able to power everything from an electricity generating turbine to a home stove so um they as they go into say in the article apparently um san francisco is look is looking for um different ways to divert their to divert their garbage waste and apparent and apparently dog um waste as well as waste from other pets is very very energy rich and so they're hoping to take um what you know what people normally you know throw away their their dog's business after their dog is done doing their business um they're hoping to be able to actually collect that and and put it together to use to um generate power the way that that they do this is they go on to explain that they would that they would actually put the dog do in special biodegradable material bags into something called a methane digester um which they which they explain it being almost a compost bin for dung. Essentially, what happens is in this digester, the poo is broken down, and that process of it breaking down um, creates methane gas, which then can be used in all in all different types of equipment that would run on natural gas. They even go go on to say that this is already being used in different places throughout the world, and that in third world countries, it's very common for people to take, for instance, their their dog waste and other animal waste, put it in plastic bags, bury that in the ground, and then just have tubes running out of the bags for the gas to flow out of, and then voila, they they heat the gas and use it for for heat or for um, running different different types of equipment or what have you. So that's so that I thought that was really really neat. Um, that's cool. If San Francisco is able to do that, then that's great because not only does it create extra energy for them, but it also you know helps them divert some of the waste. And who knows, maybe someday Toby and Kyler can help us live off the grid over here in our own house. Yeah, actually, that kind of reminds me of like Back to the Future too, with uh, uh, Mr. Fusion, where they put the garbage in there to get all the energy out. 
Oh yeah, that's right. So there, there you go. There's an example of how that's happening now. Although they they said too in the article, it's very interesting that dog do in particular is very energy rich because we tend to feed our dogs such such rich um, nutrient packed diets here. So um, that's just something pretty cool to watch out for in the future. Maybe there'll be a special dog waste receptacle so that you can help power your own neighborhoods. Right. Uh, next, we wanted to let you all know about a about a charity benefit that's going on. Um, we got this email from Lenny the Pug, and it was actually to invite us to go to this uh, charity benefit for Animal Haven in New York City, which is a little bit outside of our neighborhood. So I don't I don't think that we'll be able to make it all the way there. But for those of you who are in or around New York City and might be interested in attending, we wanted to pass this along. Um, Animal Haven is a shelter apparently in the New York City area, and they sent a link to um, for this whole um, benefit that's going on. So you can read about it and get all of the information. It's going on April the 2nd from 2 until 5. And then they have the the address for it there, so it's it's very it's very very neat. And they have pictures of of Lenny the pug, and apparently, really, is his birthday celebration is um, helping to raise money for this shelter. And they have they have a lot of interesting things that looks like are going on in different um, different businesses in the area that are helping with this benefit. So if you're in the area again, you know, please check it out and put that on your calendar. Maybe something that's kind of fun for you and your doggy to do in the area. Next, we're going to get to some listener questions. The first one comes to us from Jason in Sydney. This is a voicemail that Jason left for us, so we'll we'll let you all hear that in uh, in his voice and his words. Hi guys, this is Jason from Sydney, Australia. Um, really love the show and um, look forward to it each week. I have two questions, sort of of one of an obedience nature and the other one's a behavioural question. Um, I have two miniature schnauzers, Max and Steve. Um, one's three years, the other one's a year and a half. Um, my problem is, it's not really a problem, it's something I want to work on. We go to obedience training nearly every week. Uh, both of them are in level four and have got most of the basics covered with sit, stay, drop, all that kind of stuff. Um, the youngest one, both of them love to chase the ball. Um, and the youngest one will quite happily grab the ball and bring it back to me and drop it at my feet. Um, he's learnt to do this without too much effort, whereas Max, the older one, refuses to bring the ball back. Um, he really wants to be chased with it, and no matter what I try to do to encourage him to come, um, he'll, he just doesn't seem to want to. If I introduce a treat or some sort of reward to sort of make him come when called with the ball in his mouth, He'll just drop the ball where it is and run back to me and expect a treat. I'm just wondering what technique I can use to get Max to retrieve the ball and basically, you know, drop it at my feet so I can throw it again and get him to chase it. Um, it becomes a bit tedious if I have to chase him every time to get him to, um, you know, get the ball back. Um, the other question is, Stevie, the youngest one, um, I think he's probably sort of not the alpha male, they're both males and they're both sex. Um, when we have too much fun and there's too much excitement or when I come home from work or, you know, whenever we come back to the house from a walk, Stevie will always try to 
um, chase Max off or become slightly aggressive, not overly aggressive to the point where there's a real argument, but he tries to assert himself and, you know, sort of prevent Max from joining in and having fun or getting cuddled or whatever it may be. Um, it's not really an issue, but I'm just wondering what's going on. I guess Steve's trying to assert his dominance and, and become the alpha male or whatever, but um, I'm just wondering if this behaviour is something that I should be worried about. Anyway, love the show and um, look forward to the next episode. Thanks. See you later. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for writing in, and we're glad to hear that you're enjoying the show. Or calling in, in this case. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. I'm so, I'm so used to us getting email, but it's extra exciting when it's voicemail, and then we get to, you know, to hear our listeners interact in that way. Um, to, to get to your questions, uh, for number one, the one where Max won't bring back the ball while he's playing fetch, um, so far as giving you some, some advice about that, first I would kind of... Um, I, I don't know whether or not it's that he's never brought the ball back. I mean, he just normally has always just kind of run off with the ball, or if maybe he did at one point bring the ball back and, you know, now has begun running off. And the reason why I make that distinction is because how you would train him would be kind of different. Um, basically, if he if he never brought the ball back, it may just be that he doesn't know that the point of the game, or at least the game that he's playing, the point isn't to bring the ball back to you. It's to, oh, yay, there's a ball. We're just going to go play with the ball now. If that's the case, then the first thing to try would be to actually teach him to give you the ball. And and the way you start out doing this is you simply get Max and to get the ball, put the ball in his mouth, take it back out, and give him a treat. So, um, you know, real easy and quick. This begins to give him the idea that, oh, okay, you know, the ball coming out of his mouth you know, when he's with you is a good thing. So you would just do that um, a number of times. And then what and then, of course, the the jump that has to be made is that when he picks up the ball, he should spit it out out at you to, uh, to get the treat. So after you do this a few times, just putting the ball in his mouth and taking it back out and giving him the treat, it's helpful if you actually give him a command such as drop it or out or something along those lines, so that he can pair that with you know, the ball coming out of his mouth and him getting the treat. If you do that, then when he, you know, when he goes and picks up the ball, you can teach him, you can, you know, say your command, drop it or out or whatever, and when he drops it, you can give him the treat. Now, that won't necessarily teach him, though, that he has to actually bring the ball to you before he, before he drops it. So, um, th- so the next thing that you would want to do there is, first of all, if, if you taught him to give you the ball, that may help with what, what you said you were trying to do, calling him to come to you, and then you said he, he'll drop the ball right there and come to you. Um, if he has it in his mind that, oh, he should you know, get, bring the ball to you or that he should drop it when you tell him, he may hold on to it for a little bit longer when you call him. If he doesn't do that, then you can try just putting a long leash or a rope on his collar so that when he does pick it up, you can just kind of reel him into you. And, I mean, you don't want to, you know, drag, drag, and, t- and tug on him to where it's uncomfortable for him. But, you know, but just just kind of, you know, reel him in real quickly and be very happy while you do it. And the hope there is that, again, he'll hold on to the ball while he's coming into you. And at that point, when he gets near you, then you can give him the command to get the ball out of his mouth. Uh, now, if he if he ever did bring the ball to you and he's just started this chase game because he's decided that that's fun, 
a great way to help break him of that is by actually using a swapping method. And what that what that is is bring out a couple of balls. Um, two two normally works, but you can bring out three or more if you want to. And what you do with that is if he'll bring if he'll say bring the ball to you or won't drop it or he you know decides to to run away with the ball then you can actually use the second ball to kind of tease him over to you. You know, make sure he sees the other ball and get all excited about it. And it's fun because you're going to get ready to throw that ball. And the idea with that is that hopefully that will entice him to come towards you. And then when he comes towards you, don't try to get the other ball from him. Just, you know, just go, just go ahead. And as soon as he gets near you, throw your second ball. The idea being that hopefully in order to get in order to get that second ball, he will drop the first ball. All right, that's that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is you can actually hold on to the, the second ball, the one that you have in your hand while he has now gone after the first and is running around with it in his mouth um, until he gets towards you and then tease him with that second ball while he's still holding the first one right in front of you until eventually he drops that first one, then throw the second one. And that, that almost gives him a treat for dropping the first one when he's close by you. So again, again with, with that one, um, to go back over it, you can, either tr- you can either try just throwing the balls one after the other, or you can wait for him to drop the first ball he has in his mouth before you throw the second ball. Um, there was, there's a great web page that I found that, had, um, that also outlined a few different plans for getting your dog to basically play fetch with you correctly. Um, it's a clicker training article but if you you know if you clicker train then that would be great i know you had mentioned that you do obedience with them so you may be familiar with using that um, if you don't clicker train then you can probably modify some of the suggestions in there so that that will work for you as well um, you know and some of them are kind of along the line of of what i was talking about but those are some ideas to kind of get you to get you started with him so that max hopefully will be able to you know to get the idea that it's much more fun if he brings the ball to you rather than just kind of running around the yard with it. And we're going to, of course, have that article on the Canine Cast website and in the Enhanced Podcast. Yes, that we will, so that you can check that out and reference it, because I didn't go over all the plans in that. And uh, I had referenced clicker training uh, for anybody who is interested in that or wants to or wants to look at that. That is was in Canine Cast number four that we talked about that. So um, we also talked about uh, clicker training without a uh, clicker in canine cast number six so you can reference those as well if that will help you but um but basically those are some ideas to get you start to get you started with max and so you know good luck good luck with that it sounds like your dogs your dogs are so farther along than ours because ours don't get so far as picking the ball up in their mouth they just kind of go show show us where it went so they're they're very helpful that way all right um so now for your second question was actually about your younger schnauzer, um, Stevie, I believe his name was. And you said that when, when you guys are in kind of an exciting situation, maybe you just come home or something like that, that your younger dog will kind of assert himself to uh, prevent your older dog from taking part in the fun. And, and yeah, dogs, dogs will do that. And it, it may very well be, as you had brought up, that it could be, you know, him, you know, asserting asserting himself or trying to get top dog status or, or so on. So um, some some ways to deal with that. There's there's, there's kind of, there's there's two ways that I that I would recommend or um are like kind of two two lines of thought with that. Um, 
you know, one being that if this is him trying to assert his dominance, that you're going to kind, you're going to kind of want to, you know, go along with that because you're going, you're going to want to support the whichever one the dominant dog is. Now, other than the story, I don't know what the the dominance um, is between your two dogs in other situations. So take everything into account. I mean, if Stevie's not the dominant dog in other situations, then this might be um, then this might be a little stranger. Might not be the way you want to go. But if, if the younger dog is the dominant one or seems to be becoming the dominant one then you will want to kind of, um, you know, support that so that it doesn't cause problems between the two dogs. However, what I would recommend that you do is try to do some things to diffuse the situation. Um, Since this is happening when the dogs are very excited, try to calm them down before you do, you know, a whole lot of fun or, or interacting with either one of them. Now, since they've been through obedience you're like halfway there already because you have some tools at your disposal um if they're if they're good at sitting and staying or laying down and staying then those would be great to use to when you know whenever things are you know they're excited and the younger one's giving the older one a hard time ask them to sit and to stay or ask them to lay down and stay and then wait for them to do that before you pet them now if, if they both do and they're both good, then what you've just done is you've taken a situation where they were misbehaving and giving them a better behavior. So you're kind of redirecting them towards what you would like them to do. Um, it's also calming them down. And then you can actually praise them for doing the good behavior when you pet them or, or decide to, you know, to play with them or whatever the case may be right there. Um, now, when you pet them, pet, try to pet the more dominant one first. Um, and then and then pet the second one. Now you you can of course pet them at the same time, but but you know try to start with the more dominant one if you can. Now if they this this only works though if they're still sitting or they're still laying down or whatever it was they you asked them to do. If they sat for a second and then started jumping around again, then you know obviously don't don't pet them. You know uh, either put them in that position or get them get them back to that position first. And what I what I do with my two dogs, um, Toby's the dominant one. However, when when they are just being crazy, and, and occasionally they will try to get in front of, you know, one another and, and make you know the other one kind of get out of the way, which I don't appreciate very much. What I'll what I'll do is I'll, I'll have them sit and stay for me, or down and stay for me, and whoever whoever sits gets pet first. And you know, if e- if either one of them d- doesn't sit, they don't get pet, and if one of them say sits and then gets back back up then I stop petting that one and continue petting the other one so um so there's there's some different ways to do it like I said you want to kind of be careful and walk that line because you want to support you know whatever the the dominance hierarchy is with your dogs but at the same time you know this is a great chance for you to praise the one that is acting correctly now um depend depending on on how they are how strong their obedience and particularly their stays are this this may not work this may just cause chaos at least at first so if you so if you're trying to get them to sit and stay or lay down and stay and they're just too excited to do it then probably um the best thing would be to take yourself out of the situation just ignore you know ignore them both because it sounds like they're trying they're basically you know vying to get your attention there so if you take yourself out of the equation then well you know there's nothing for for your younger dog to be giving your older dog a hard time about anymore and wait for them to calm down a little bit 
when they get calmer, then call them over to you and try again to get them sit and stay down and stay, you know, do something, do something positive to kind of, you know, earn some attention. And then you can, you know, put them, play with them, whatever, whatever you were going to do that, um, that got them so excited. But hopefully now they'll be a little bit calmer, a little bit more focused on, um, you know, interacting with you in a positive way rather than, rather than figuring out their dominance issues. So, um, you know, good, good luck with the two of them. Um, it's, it's so much fun having dogs and as you know, once you, once you get, you know, two or three or, you know, multiple dogs going on, then, then of course it always is interesting to watch, um, the ways that they interact with each other as well as you, but you know, of course it presents its own special challenges. So, uh, you know, so hopefully that will work out for you guys so that can all have your fun and still be in harmony so thank you so much for calling in we loved hearing from you and you know let us let us know how it goes right now next we have another short question from a listener and this one actually was written in as opposed to me just talking about things being written Um, this one comes from Anne, and she writes in i would like to know what you think about rolled leather collars i'm interested in a collar that is less likely to make noticeable marks in the neck fur would this help? Any other suggestions? Well, and um, rolled collars are are basically what um, what almost everyone suggests for not making marks in the dog's um, hair on their neck. Um, specifically, it's most helpful for dogs with medium to long hair, uh, especially if they have an undercoat, because the rolled collar can go basically under their their overcoat, which is what um, normal flat collars kind of um, start, you know, bending and that kind of thing. So far as it being um, as it being leather, leather collars are always nice. But um, from what I've heard, rolled nylon works just as well. And you know, and the collars themselves, they're 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 fine. Um, the same rules apply as for any other collars, where you'll want it to be tight enough that it can't slip off the dog's neck. And a great way to measure to make sure that it's tight enough but not too tight is to make sure that you can just get one or two fingers underneath the collar. And whether it's one or two fingers will depend. If you have a small dog, then one is fine. If you have a larger dog, then two is fine. And, you know, and, and of course, we haven't brought this up, but I, um, but I came across it today, and so I, I wanted to bring it up now, and this is a great time. For anybody who has a puppy, especially if the puppy has long hair, which makes it a little bit tougher to gauge the the tightness of the collar just by looking at it. Be sure as the puppy is growing to to pretty often, I would say, you know, once every every couple of days at least, check to see how tight the collar is. And if it does get tight enough that you can't put um, a finger or two underneath there, then it's time to either loosen the collar or get a new one. Um, this is something that can be so easily overlooked and can really damage the dog's neck or or get embedded very very quickly. So um, so you know be sure to check that as well. But um but the roll the roll collars are nice. I I don't have any personal experience with that. Our our dogs just wear flat collars because their hair is short enough. And um and I've always had dogs with with short enough hair to do that. Um, except for my parents' poodle, but. Um, the collar didn't really affect his hair anyway, but um, but from what from what I've always heard, those are you know the answer to that question. So um, you know, best of luck with that, and you know, let us let us know how that goes. If you try it and it doesn't work, then or or if it does work beautifully and, and is perfect, um, you know, we'd like to know that because then I'll know know for the future, even though we don't have a long-haired dog of our own. 
So thanks so much for writing in, and you know, thanks to everybody for you know for writing in and, and alerting us to these different you know stories and and questions and just things that are going on in the world of dogs. Um, it's so it's so great to you know to feel like we're so in tune here. Um, so much more than than we would be just from the things that we find out on the internet ourselves. So we really, really appreciate that from you all. And of course, the information to get in touch with us will be available at the end of the show. You can always um, call us in and leave a voicemail message or um, email us. We love hearing from all of our listeners. And you can also leave comments for us on the website as well. And we And we get those too. So now we're going to take just a moment for a word from our sponsor. A dog's got to do what a dog's got to do. Hey, I should know. I'm a dog. Wolf. And what I got to do is chase squirrels, especially the one digging holes in my yard. Someday soon I'll get free and chase that lawn wrecker right out of town. You don't think your dog will run away? Your dog might think differently. One in three pets will get lost. Without ID, 90% won't return home. That's why vets recommend the Home Again Microchip, a safe, permanent ID that can bring your pet home. Talk to your vet about Home Again and visit homeagainpets.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Home Again. And now it's time for listener pictures. These pictures were sent in by Lori. And she writes that she has two cats and two dogs, a 13-year-old rescued Dobie, Lucky, and her baby, a one-and-a-half-year-old English Springer, Annie. And these pictures are actually of Annie. And Lori says that she and Annie are training very successfully using clicker training. And Lori says it was one of the first episodes of the Canine Cast that she listened to, which we mentioned earlier, interestingly enough, Canine Cast number four. And in the pictures, you can see Annie at Christmas time and Annie playing in the fall leaves and some nice spring pictures, or at least I think it's spring. Look how green that grass is of Annie. And Annie has bows, ribbons in her hair. So, so very cute. Yeah, that's that's common to put um, you know ribbons in their on their ear hair when they get when they get groomed. It's so cute. So these are great pictures, and Lori actually is a professional photographer. So don't miss these professional dog photos that Lori has sent to us. Yes, thanks for sending those in, Lori. And and actually too, you know, as I, w- I was talking about collars earlier, another another thing that just popped into my mind that I came across today too. Um, talking about the bows and the ear hair, it's important to make the distinction for anybody who does want to put bows on their dogs or um, maybe even something else to watch out for if their children want to put bows on the ears of their dogs, um, that, the, that the rubber bands actually do go in the hair and not around the ear because um, that, that too can, can cause some problems with the ears. And that's something that, um, that groomers find occasionally. Well, it certainly looks like it's not going around the ear in these pictures because you can actually see in the last picture the rubber band hanging off the little hair tuft coming out from underneath the the ribbon. So if you want to see these pictures, you can see them in the Canine Cast listeners picture gallery at caninecast.com or you can see it in the enhanced podcast. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for our show for this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us once again for the Canine Cast. And we look forward to hearing from you all as well as seeing the pictures of all of your adorable dogs. So until next time, if you haven't already, please remember to spay or neuter your dog. It's the best thing that you can do for your furry friend. If you have a question for Tara or a comment about Canine Cast, 
please send an email to caninecast at gmail.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 206-338-DOGS. And you can leave a comment on our website at caninecast.com.